Hey, everybody. Welcome to episode 13 of Mike Dicta. I, uh, America's, uh, we're going to actually do that again. <laughs> I, couldn't even, I couldn't even make it through in the most half-assed way. That's our genuine sounding cold open. Come on, kids! Welcome to episode. Oh, <laughs> sorry, that's my fault. That's my fault. Yeah. Uh, Can I do it? Nope. Oh. <laughs> All right, be quiet. Nope. I am very possessive. Uh, hey, everybody. Welcome to episode thirteen of Mike Dicta, America's best-named legal podcast. I am your host, Charles Starr. Uh, we've got some veterans back. Uh, so let's say hi right off the bat to our panel. Uh, Say hello again to Christina. Lucky number 13. Uh, and back uh, for a second time here, say hi to Pat. Hey, how's it going, everybody? And back again. It's been a while. Uh, say hi to Andy. Hey, guys. So uh, we are Michael Cohen Dicta. Uh, and so <laughs> every show apparently has to start uh, with... Uh, Michael Cohen. He's an honorary in one panelist. Way or another. To me. Yeah, Michael Cohen is the fifth Beatle. <laughs> um, the 50th Beatle. I, yeah, 50th, right, exactly. Uh, he, this week's adventure was his attempt to keep the Taint team from looking at his documents. Uh, that I think is still pending, right? Judge Wood has not decided whether to appoint a special master yet. The last time I checked in, she said that he had to actually put on the record that he intended to take the fifth. Uh, Oh wait, that's the stormy Daniels thing. Uh, He had in the stormy, (laughs) there are just so many things (laughs) going on. He told, yeah, he told the judge in uh, New York, Kimball Wood, that they needed to, they needed to have a special master to review his privileged documents because he didn't trust the Taint team. Uh, and then he told the judge in the Stormy Daniels litigation, uh, his attorney said that he was uh, possibly going to take the fifth. And the judge out in California is like, cut the possibly shit. Buddy. <laughs> either, either put in an affidavit that you're going to take the fifth uh, so I can decide on this motion to stay or don't. <laughs> Uh, so I don't know what they did there. I think he was supposed to put that affidavit. How in. can you halfway but take the York, Fifth Amendment? Like, how is that? How can what? you? How can you halfway take the Fifth Amendment? Well, you can't. No, That's no, no. Point. He didn't halfway take oh, the Fifth okay. Amendment. He just had his lawyer. He just had his lawyer posturing in a non-binding way. Mm. And so the, you know, like the judge, the, his attorneys out in California were trying to uh, get discovery stayed um, while. All of his criminal stuff was pending in New York. And part of the grounds are that he intends to take the fifth anyway. And so the depositions wouldn't go forward. And so stay it in, uh, you know, while the criminal case is pending, or at least there's more clarity there. Mm-hmm. 
Uh, and the judge was like, well, if you want me to give you a stay on those grounds, your attorney's representations are not going to be enough on that point. I want like you to go on the record Absolutely. and say that you're going to take the fifth. What are, what are the that's odds where that, that he actually knows what's going on? Like, this is not a very good lawyer. Like, do you think he... No, I, his, I, think, he, I think he mostly has pretty good... I think he mostly has pretty good counsel on this. Yeah, and I don't think this is a real hard one to grip about how much trouble he's in or the problems he's got. Like this isn't this isn't advanced legal theory. Yeah, right. <laughs> yeah, well, and I mean his cal. I think I think Hart Charles Harder. I think maybe one of the lawyers out in California, though I don't think the one who was arguing the motion in New York. He's got McDermott, Will, and Emery. Uh, who was arguing the privilege stuff. And one of the things they tried to do was they tried to shield one of his clients. They're like, he's got three clients. (laughs) Number one, everyone knows is Trump. Number two, everyone knows is Broidy. Number three, uh, we don't want to say, and he has not allowed us to say it. And then the judge was like, all right, just write it on a piece of paper and hand it to me. <laughs> Ryan's with schmon schmanity. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and, so, and so they did that. And then the judge uh, issued the classic uh, judicial ruling. Come on. <laughs> <laughs> she, just, she just like looked at the judge and was like, no, you can't keep this off the record. <laughs> there is no like there is no legal grounds. For you to just keep this off the record. And so they announced they announced Sean Hannity. And then like apparently the courtroom was like that classic gif of like eight journalists running out of the courtroom and knocking over the phone bank. All of a sudden the curb your enthusiasm, you know, theme starts playing in the background. (laughs) Right. And of course, and of Uh, course, like you can't one of the sort of general things it's not universally true but general rules of privilege is the fact of representation is not privileged right it may not be something you want to share it may be you know sensitive but it's not privileged and you just sort of can't keep the court from knowing on those grounds and you can't keep it out of the public on those grounds. Right. And so they just kind of shrugged and were like, Ugh. yeah. And, and it's impossible for the court to, you know, call balls and strikes with regard to any of the actual privilege, uh, uh, calls you want them to make if they don't, you know, if they don't have like the basic information about who the parties are and who's being represented. Right. right. Well, I mean, I guess the argument was they were doing it in pursuit of getting a special master and they were fully intending to disclose all of that to the special master who was going to be responsible for making the calls. But they didn't want it in open court as a matter of sort of an unsealed public record. And the judge is like, that's not how this Too is going it's, it's that tension between, I guess, the privilege versus your duty of confidentiality as an attorney where, you know, Cohen may have been, uh, you know, the the ethics rules may have prohibited him from just telling anyone that Hannity was his client, but, you know, he can't hide behind privilege once the court or the opposing party tries to get that out of there. Right, right. I mean, that really is it. Like, there are just very different rules for this kind of formal court process when when issue is kind of joined on those matters as opposed to just how you conduct yourself as a lawyer who has responsibilities to their client where you just don't go around 
putting your client's shit out in the street when they don't want you to. Right. <laughs> right. And so that's it. Once the judge and and I mean, McDermott, Will and Emery, to their credit, like in their original statement, they they said that they were going to like appeal it essentially yeah. to the ends of process if told to disclose it. And <laughs> when push came to shove and the judge asked them to disclose it, they're just like, okay. Uh, yeah, no, no. It was <laughs> we were totally <laughs> thinking about that. That was, we're- yeah. Yeah, it was, it was a very, it was a very bold bluff that was called. Also, uh, and so I, I just think it's perfect that Judge Woods was a uh, officiated George Soros's wedding. So now she's the Soros judge. We really and, yeah. didn't know that. Yeah, all the Pizzagate assholes like uh, Cernovich and Jack Vasobiec and you know Laura Loomer have glommed onto that and are you know, they had a whole bunch of memes about a week ago about you know Soros Judge Kimball Woods going after poor Michael Cohen. Sean Hannity, yeah, the deep state rears his ugly head again. Yeah, well, I mean, if it weren't that, they would have just gone back to the fact they would have just called her a Clinton judge. <laughs> they did that too. <laughs> well, that, because, that shows uh, the know, deep state has his tentacles everywhere, and then you, you know, know, you imagine because, like a like one of those old, uh, uh, you know, political cartoons that has vaguely ethnic stereotypes. Mm. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, because I mean, for for people who are old like me, uh. Clinton nominated her to be, uh, I believe, attorney general. Um, And uh, she got swept up. And it's just so funny (laughs) to look back at it and think of this as the kind of thing that would disqualify a nominee. Uh, But she didn't pay her nanny's social security. Yeah. Yeah, Those are at a time days. when I mean, she was not legally required to do like so. Like nowadays, like to not like be nominated for something, you have to not be able to read. Like, oh. no, no, Betsy DeVos does not. Oh, well, yeah. that's a good point. <laughs> Roy Moore <laughs> was old. from money and was never taught. <laughs> We return. We return to the sex dungeon of Governor Greitens. Oh <laughs> um, no! I don't um, want to go there because, well, you don't have to. We will protect you. <laughs> you don't actually have to enter the dungeon. Uh, but he is—he is back in the news uh, for two reasons. Number one, uh, he filed an incredible uh, complaint to try to get the attorney general and his, the entire attorney general's office disqualified uh, from, uh, from, from being involved in his prosecution. Cause he's now got two prosecutions. He's not just a, he doesn't just have the sex dungeon. He also is being prosecuted for sharing his charity's donor list. So good. 
Yep. He took his charity's donor list and he, from what I could tell, he either had someone inside or he basically just emailed it to himself. (laughs) And then his campaign, and then his campaign started fundraising off of the same donor list. The Graham stuff just throws me through a loop because I'm like, any other year, this would be a huge fucking deal. But like, if you ask like anyone about this stuff, they probably wouldn't even know about it. I mean, yeah. yeah, like it's just like Missouri, Missouri is under two felony indictments. Yeah. And what's so and one of the things that's so stupid about it is that like sharing information like this is something that like political uh, action committees and stuff, they all completely have down. You just publicly post it in like a bucket, you know, on Amazon that's like not password protected. I think like bro pair has been uncovering these all year. And uh, then you just go get the data. Like everyone knows how this collusion is done. It's a it's an old scheme by now. But like mm-hmm. emailing it to yourself from dot gov to dot home <laughs> is like a really stupid way to do that. Yeah. And so and so that's it. It's, it's <laughs> he's got a felony charge for abusing the uh, the charity. And so he's freaking out. Uh, he's freaking out about that. And because basically the <laughs> the 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 Republican House in Missouri issued a report that essentially was just believe women. Yeah. <laughs> right. Right. They're like, we spoke to everybody involved and he definitely uh, snapped a photo of this woman uh, while she was bound and blindfolded and naked. Uh, and, and so they released this report and the attorney general is like between this and another thing that I know about, which happened to be the charity thing, which dropped a little while later, he should resign. And then uh, Greitens went apeshit and claimed that because he said that uh, because he said that uh, Greitens should resign, he and his whole office should be recused because there's a conflict of interest. <laughs> but they literally never describe anything approaching a conflict of interest beyond the fact that they are both political actors in Missouri. Yeah, does he not understand uh, what a prosecution does? I mean, like, yeah. the, 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 they looked at evidence and then they decided there. that I was maybe not that I was guilty. This is crazy. <laughs> right. They did. They, they I mean, they really did. They accused him of like prejudging. As if the indictment itself wasn't kind of a statement of the prosecutor's opinion. This is going to open uh, up just a whole thing. If that range. worked, if that worked, then every public statement by a prosecutor, you'd be good to go. You'd be like, yeah. "Well, as you can see, he seems to have made up his mind a little bit, don't you think?" On the way into the courthouse, <laughs> I would say, before seeing the evidence, this is one of those times where the slippery slope argument actually makes sense. <laughs> I'll be making them all night. Yep, I mean. It's uh it's a sad day when you can't say that someone horrible is totally horrible. Well, and I just um, but hmm? yeah, I just love that Greitens is going to become a political cudgel between Hawley and Claire McCaskill during the uh, the Senate race in Missouri this fall because you're going to have you know I don't know much about Hawley besides his involvement in this, but you know as uh, I'm no McCaskill fan and Greitens is obviously a real piece of shit, and it's going to be great to see three people whom I really don't like. You know, using each other for their own political <laughs> advantage in Missouri. Amen. And, uh, and I'm, I'm sure there's going to be some hilarious headlines. And so long as Mike Dicta continues through the election, 
we should come, there should be a deep well for us to pull from. We're just going to become yeah. a Missouri <laughs> podcast. Just yeah, like exactly. completely right. focused on the heartland. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. We apologize to everyone for not talking about Cohen, yeah. uh, but we're back in the sex. Yes. <laughs> um, <laughs> but well, and then the other, the other thing that came out was in the, in the sex, in the, in the sex case, he tried to get the whole thing dismissed because of discovery abuse and the back and forth on like the, basically he was alleging Brady violations. Mm. And then just a sort of quick, just a quick statement on Brady for the non-lawyers in our audience. Brady is the law is the Supreme court decision that requires prosecutors to disclose exculpatory or information that tends to be exculpatory to the defense uh, so that they can uh, properly defend their client, impeach witnesses, whatever. Uh, and there was a lot that wasn't done. I mean, they, basically, the state hired an investigator who spent the entire deposition perjuring. Uh, like it's really it really is genuinely horrible like he said he didn't take notes during his interviews and he did and there were allegations that the district attorney specifically asked him to give all of his reports over the phone so there would be no writing which isn't terrible except that there was also like no real final report and then when there was a final report it was like after the depositions were over and they didn't turn <laughs> it over immediately and like there were there was like some missing sections of the tape like it was actually genuinely bad like it was so bad that the prosecution in their response literally doesn't re- deny any of it <laughs> oh, right they didn't try to make excuses all they said was the investigators notes of the interview of the victim are not really a Relevant because you have the entire recording of the interview with the victim. And so anything that's different between the guy's notes and the actual recording doesn't matter because the notes aren't her words. Her words are her words. There's no loss of exculpatory value. What? There's no loss of exculpatory value if those notes aren't turned over. Right. And, you know, I mean... There were, and I mean, there were other things, but they said that they, but the basic, the entire prosecution's response was, look, any, like, we admit that there were lots of problems and we apologize for all of them, but the remedy is not dismissal. Like, none of the cases that you cited, the remedy was dismissal. All of this is, we're not even close to trial yet. So you have all of this information now. You can redepose anybody that you want. You can, you know, call our guys liars all you want at trial, uh, but we're not there yet. And the judge basically said the now, same thing. I, I, I just have a question about the procedural posture, and maybe this is my fault for sloppy reading, but in what, uh, what were the circumstances of these depositions? Are uh-huh. they part of a separate civil case? That uh, no, I don't think so. Uh, I think uh, I think they deposed the I think they deposed the investigator as part of this proceeding. Interesting. Like they may have gotten a motion to to 
after like the late disclosures on all of that, they may have gotten the right to depose him Okay, uh, on this stuff. And, you know, the other interviews were done over the course of the investigation, you know, and so, uh, well, well, I'm no, yeah. I'm no, I'm no Grayton's fan, but between uh, this investigator and our, our investigator friend from Brandon Dassey, I just hope the listeners out there know that these investigators are likely full of shit, and you should not believe them if you're ever on a jury. Okay. <laughs> one thing that one thing that I this think is, is this funny. is the Mike Dick depicts for jury nullification, everybody. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> one thing that I think Wait, is funny don't is nullify <laughs> if you're on the Greitens jury. Except for Greitens, this is the one yeah, exception. Right. Yeah, please. Yeah. <laughs> Do not nullify in the Greitens case. Fuck this, um, fuck this dude. But it's really, though it's funny that you say that because in the middle of uh in the middle of Greitens' uh motion to dismiss, he gets very woke. Oh he gets very <laughs> yeah. woke in a way that I imagine he never is. Because in his requested relief, where he's asking for dismissal, he says that if this can happen in this case, it may be <laughs> happening to other defendants in this courthouse. Wow. So, uh, Governor Greitens, friend of the common man. <laughs> Governor Greitens yeah, is SJW. This is something I wanted this to point case. out both about this case and it also happens with Cohen, where all of a sudden these guys discover, like, wait, prosecutorial abuses or, like, Cohen, where they'll say, like, wait, parallel construction is a thing. Like, even though they say they won't turn it over, there's no way we would have to know it. They might just have the evidence and then they'll they'll know where to look for to find a, a reasonable pathway for them to, you know, suddenly acquire the evidence that they wouldn't have gotten through privilege. Uh, and these guys, they know about all this stuff, but they suddenly, of course, care about it when it is aimed at them. Welcome to the show, bitch. Yeah. I mean, that really is what it is. Like, as soon as as soon as any one of these guys who are like really banging away on law and order uh, find themselves under scrutiny, they're like all of a sudden, you know, Thurgood Marshall. Yeah, whoa, 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 back <laughs> off, man. Calm down. This is, uh, you know, people have rights. <laughs> hey, man, what's with the cop attitude, <laughs> cop? Yeah. So it's uh it's pretty bad. Uh he also he also said that like the whole point of them doing it was to was to taint the jury pool. You know, mm. like it, it's really he's very he's very aggressive in in uh in support of rights, but it is the it really is pretty bad. <laughs> like you read the thing and you're like, okay, I am sympathetic to how bad this investigator is, but as someone who's been through some real like discovery wars just in civil just in civil depositions the fact is that all the judges ever do is yell at you a little and yep. then allow you to depose the person a second yeah. time yeah yep it's pretty bad governor marine todd yeah and it's like it's like your prize in winning a discovery <laughs> fight is more discovery you get the right to just like look for anything depose anybody but in this case Greiden, he might not necessarily be hoping for that because I mean, he might reveal bad stuff about this investigator, but uh, he, he doesn't. He might not have as much to pull over, much to uncover. Yeah, I don't think it changes any of this positive facts of the case, and that yeah. you know the woman was blindfolded, and there was a picture taken of her that she did not consent to, and then Graydon's transmitted it over, uh, you know, electronic means, whatever the statute says. Extra depositions, yeah. I go fix that. Yeah, I mean, it sounds like right, it just right. probably got uploaded to the cloud. But that's probably enough. But I mean, the I mean, he disputes all of that too. Mm-hmm. 
you know, by trying to point to inconsistent statements. And the state's response to that stuff was, mm-hmm. this isn't the time for that. Just impeach her on the stand. If you yeah. think her statements are inconsistent or implausible, then eventually you'll get to trial and deal with that. But they also say, but probably <laughs> not with these lawyers. <laughs> because they because they also have a motion pending to dismiss his counsel. And they bring it up here, too, uh, because apparently uh, Greitens' personal attorney to defend against these charges is also <laughs> representing the state of Missouri. That's a conflict. Uh, in other, That's a conflict. In other litigation. And, and it's not, unre- like, they don't really go into the details of it, but they basically are like, as we said in our motion to disqualify, which I didn't dig up and read, apparently the, the litigation yeah. is somewhat oh, it's connected. connected. <laughs> and so... <laughs> Like there, like there's some overlap, I guess. And so, and so he's like, you're representing the state in the, in that litigation and you are defending him here. So where you're against the state of Missouri. And so they're trying to get him kicked off. They're trying to get him. Yeah. That's that's an issue of like direct adversity. I'm not a conflicts lawyer, but. I yeah. run conflicts and I'm not, there's no chance I'm going to be able to get that by, uh, you know, any sort of ethics committee. I'm generally skeptical of people that want to get somebody's attorney disqualified, but uh, I don't know. I guess that, you know, if it was like, if he was representing like a community college trying to recover on a contract or something, that would be one thing, but. It doesn't matter. Like the, the <laughs> ethics rules are pretty, pretty consistent though. That's, right. That is still direct adversity. You know, if you, re- if the state is prosecuting Greitens independently of, you know, as, as the governor, and this guy is representing the state in another issue. You know, that's an unwaverable conflict. Uh, I, um, I think I think that government conflicts are a little bit more uh, are a little bit more expansive so that it has it, has, it there is a like a relevance standard that might uh, limit it. I think because government has such a broad yeah. scope that if you were, you know, ever represented the United States, you're just like screwed out of all possible litigation against them. But, um, they, they, they don't limit it that much. I'll, I'll concede the point. I'll concede the point, but begrudgingly. All right. <laughs> uh, and then the last thing I want to note is just because it was funny uh, as a tacked on thing. At the end of their response, uh, the state of Missouri had to add a one paragraph motion for leave to file out of time uh, because somebody <laughs> fucked up the copying and they filed 45 minutes late. <laughs> Like, they don't actually say what it is, but it's clearly some, you know, Professor Frank intern tripped with the binders. Look, as a guy who has had to file out of time because I have a way too, my caseload is too big, I'm just going to say I, I I defend those people. And- hey, whom among us has not tried to submit 45 exhibits to a motion for summary judgment at 11.45 p.m. and have had Pacer reject it for like the 13th time in a row? I mean, very relatable. (laughs) Yep, it is very relatable. That feel win. (laughs) (laughs) But trying to claim things I haven't earned, honest man. Snake raking out gases on this jam. But keep diamond on a two two grand. Trying to help raise our youth to man. See if the ruler rig his face to slam. Help clean up this land. The reputation of this man. With hole and whip stand. 
outcast and slick, the answer is in it. Hun, you need to get your ass on the dance floor this minute. We bruised up, knock you out, shoes, socks, show your ass, move, you forgot what mad smooth snugs. Lottie, daughter, mm? we like to party, don't make me get money and platinumize my body. We're bright stuff, known to earn a dice, love blind folks, but like somebody turn the lights off. Immense strength popping out of them off and make famous artists that's dead hop out of coffee. At the real estate behind And so now we move uh, from Missouri to Kansas. Really hitting the uh, Midwest. Flyover country. Yeah, we are. We are. We are. We are all over them. And we're going from <laughs> after this, we're going to Ohio. Woohoo! Uh, but Chris, but Chris Kobach, uh, Chris Kobach got hammered on, on the, uh, on the voting, uh, the voting rights stuff. Uh, yeah, I don't yeah. know if, uh, everyone read this, but he was, uh, he was held in contempt for not notifying the people who uh, were getting frozen out by his voter ID law, which the court, at least on a temporary basis, found was uh, unconstitutional in one way or another. And back in 2016, he ordered the state of Kansas to notify everyone that they could, you know, who were subject to these new voter ID rules. He was like, you have to tell them that they're registered. You have to tell them that they could vote. And the the state spent two years just dicking around and not really notifying anyone in the yeah, way. It was mailing a postcard. That they were it's supposed. not like it was a complicated way to do it. It was, you know, you don't even have to pay for a first class stamp on that thing. You get that in bulk, it's like 20 cents per. It seems like Kansas in the past like five years or so is is doing this radical experiment and like yeah. not governing. Go, Governor Brownback, baby. Yeah, and this is just like another yeah. example of that. They just like completely abdicated any responsibility to their own citizens. Reading the opinion, um, you know, I, I brought back to uh, Charles' comment from episode nine that basically the judge is going to figure out who the asshole is and rule against them. <laughs> Oh, Tarek, pardon. Oh, that's Sorry, Tarek. Tarek. You're not, you're that's not, Tarek. you're not here tonight. Otherwise, I would have given you yep, full credit. Tarek but theory. you decided that you had more important work to do. So, <laughs> but uh, yeah, like he, he hammered the state there. He called. He basically called the state's witness a liar several times. And like, if if this, you know, I think granted they yeah. haven't issued their opinion yet from the bench trial, but I think this was a really strong signal that they're going to find in favor of the ACLU. Um, and against Kobach, which is going to be fantastic because let's be honest, fuck that guy. Yeah, I mean, just to go through what what happened back in 2016, like the, what Kansas did was complicate something incredibly simple because they had to do two things. There was number one, a known group, like a known universe of voters who were frozen out by the voter ID law. And he was like, you have to register them and tell them that they're registered. And Kansas tried to sort of, they dithered on it and they tried to kind of half-ass it. Like the first thing they did was they notified everyone that they could vote in federal elections, but not local elections. (laughs) And so they had to go back before the judge and he's like, no. You can vote in all. Tell them that they could vote in all elections. And like they spent two years pretending that they didn't understand the order. You know, like it's very complicated. And like, I guess... Kansas sends out and I we get something the same in New York City. I imagine it's the same everywhere. 
before an election, the Board of Elections sends out a postcard that says you're registered to vote in X primary. Uh, Your polling place is at this address. This is your assembly district and this is your uh, state Senate district. And it just has like all of that information on the back on a postcard. And Kansas sounds like they have something similar. It says that you're registered and it tells you where to go to vote. And everyone who's registered is supposed to get this one very recognizable postcard (laughs) that everyone on the record evidence considers proof that they're registered. And they just didn't send that to all of the people on the other list. (laughs) Like they they very they just didn't in having sent them the first thing, which was like this half assed thing. They didn't send them the official postcard. And then the witness for the secretary of state's office was like, well, I found it very confusing having sent the first one that I'd also have to send this second one. And the judge was just like, you've spent months telling plaintiff's counsel that you don't have to do it at all. And then I guess at the hearing, after months of yelling at plaintiff's counsel and amazing. denying that he had to do it at the hearing, he's like, you know, <laughs> I think I did call them. <laughs> I have in my appointment book. Uh, that I was calling the 105 <laughs> county officials and telling them to do this, but he didn't put his calendar in evidence. And and at the hearing, they were still denying that they had to do it. And so the judge is like, I don't believe you called them. <laughs> There's no way that that's true. And literally everything that you've done in the last two years has really seemed like an exercise in intentionally not following my instructions. And so he was like, we're getting this right for 2018. (laughs) Send these damn things out uh, to everybody. And then he held, he held the secretary of state himself uh, in contempt (laughs) uh, uh, for, uh, for noncompliance. And so he basically was like, send everything out properly. And also he made them pay attorney's fees uh, to the plaintiffs for all of the attempts they made to try to get two years of motions practice. It's going to be fantastic. (laughs) So something that I think is uh, like at least a teaching moment out of this, if, if you aren't as familiar with litigation here and you're a listener is that this is a standard eternal struggle and slog with impact litigation. Impact litigation meaning like kind of a social justice-y, not not necessarily focused on one particular plaintiff, but an attempt to change some uh, reality Mm -hmm. using litigation. Uh, The eternal battle is going to be enforcement. So you get an injunction, you get a settlement agreement, you get a consent discussion, a consent decree, and all that stuff has to be enforced. And a standard tactic to exhaust the court's patience and resources is just vague compliance or non-compliance or partial compliance and just force the other side to bring you to court again and again and again. And then you say, well, judge, I did this, or that was confusing, or all the stuff they did here, they pulled out they pulled, this was like weak tea compared to what you know uh, enforcement looks like in on the environmental side, for instance, where uh, people will show like a vague attempt to comply, and then they'll say, "I thought that was enough. I thought that was enough." But essentially, like the judge eventually just gets exhausted, and the fourth and fifth time they're in there, they're like, "It's fine. It's done. Whatever. I don't care." 
I, 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 we can't just do this forever. Exhaustion litigation? You mean my ex-wife? Francisco Mejia uh, of the Cleveland Indians, uh, when he was a young ball player, uh, took out a loan from a company that is uh, basically a predatory loan company. <laughs> they He took out a loan for a total of like 300 and something thousand dollars. 360. Against what? 360. 360. Yeah. Yep. For, uh, I don't go pretending you read it more closely than I did. Uh <laughs> for against 10% of his future earnings, uh, which is probably going to be uh, like the 10% will probably end up about you know, 10 to, to 10 millions to 12 million. of dollars. This, this guy that. was a top 100 prospect yep. for the Cleveland Indians this year. I believe he is what a third base slash catcher, depending on if whether he signs an extension with the team before arbitra- before his arbitration years play out or he hits the market, the dude's going to get paid a lot. Yep. And so, and so the complaint uh, is basically that the contract was unconscionable. They approached him when he was when he was young and poor and didn't really know a whole lot, and his he had illness in the family and a lot of expenses. And over the course of like three or four months, they made him three loans totaling, like we said, three hundred and sixty thousand bucks. And each time they ratcheted up the amount of his future earnings that they would take to the point where he's now on the hook for 10% of everything. Uh, And he is claiming like why, you know, that the entire process was unconscionable because they took advantage of someone who didn't know anything and they bought, you know, 10 million bucks with a $360,000 loan. Okay. First of all, this is the only topic that I prepared for. (laughs) So I'm going to talk a lot. (laughs) Um, (laughs) so the thing about this is, is like, I, like, I'm just going to be the heel here. I don't think that the contract as like, just as you laid it out right now is unconscionable. You know, I think that they picked him when he was a like rookie, like, I mean, minor league player. I think 360,000, $360,000 is a lot of money. I think he could have gotten hurt in the intervening time between when they gave him the contract and, you know, when he actually was called up to the majors, what really makes this unconscionable is the fact that they paid for yeah. his attorney. Well, and like he didn't he wasn't represented in this. Right. And he I think doesn't even speak And I just want to touch on unconscionability. There's two to have a contract be rendered uh, to have the court rescind a contract on unconscionability grounds. You need to show that it's procedurally unconscionable and substantively unconscionable and just you know, a very quick 30-second primer. Procedural unconscionability deals with the way that the contract was formed, kind of, nego- you know, people talk about, like, negotiating power between each party. You know, if I point a gun to your head and say, sign this or you get it, that's procedurally unconscionable. Where substance of unconscionability deals with the actual terms of the contract is whether it's so one-sided as to, you know, kind of really be against justice and that a court will refuse to enforce it just because it's, you know, on its face, it just it's 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 absurd, um, and I think talking going with what Christina is discussing, there are very very serious I think procedural unconscionability grounds, um, 
again, dealing with especially the fact that they paid for his, they allege they paid for his lawyer or he alleges they paid for his lawyer. Yeah. The plaintiff says, right. I mean, it's funny they they deny that obviously the loan company denies that they did it. They're like, they, I mean, look, their, their answer is like Christina, I think pointed out one of the ways that they will defend the substantive mm-hmm. Uh, unconscionability argument is they're like, you know, he, they signed all of these yeah. contracts when he was in a ball, right? He was in the low minors when they did it. But I think even then, right, he was, they signed these contracts when he was in a ball in 2016, but he was in the majors right. in 2007. Like everyone, everyone knew that this kid was like on a rocket ship to the top. So what really plays into this is the fact that, like, you know, they paid him a lot more than they paid anybody else. Like, I mean, so they they make a lot of these contracts and he got 360 and most people are getting like 20 or 30. So, like, they knew that they had a future star on their hands. I mean, that's got to be. There's there's thousands of, you know, minor league ballplayers across the country. You know, basically, when you're drafting someone, it's kind of a crapshoot. They're going to make it the majors. You know, there's that old or that new edge. There's no such thing as a pitching prospect. You know, hell, I've been waiting for Kevin Gaussman to mm-hmm. become the ace I was promised in 2013 for five years now. I don't think it's ever going to happen. But, you know, you kind of have to spread the money out from their business <laughs> model. You have to make a lot of these, you know, $20,000, $30,000 loans in the hope that, you know, you have one guy who hits it big. And look, that's certainly going to be their defense. But if if he wasn't defended by counsel. I mean, here's the thing. In a sense, the procedural unconscionability and the substantive unconscionability are going to merge a little because if they were if they were right. his representation, right? That creates a procedural unconscionability problem because he didn't have anyone properly representing him at the formation stage. But it also can create a substantive unconscionability problem because while you could say in the abstract that three hundred and sixty thousand dollars is a lot of money, and actually I think I think there was actually a huge drafting mistake in the complaint where they actually refer to it as being a large amount of money, uh, which I certainly would not have done were were I drafting the complaint. Um, uh, But they would say, look, if he had his own counsel, if he had someone who was actually looking out for his best interests, his attorney would have known that he was being underpriced at $360,000. And his counsel would have said, I can get you a much better deal leveraging your future earnings in a way that isn't a percentage you know, like they're like it's they're not the only loan company out there. And if he were getting proper advice, the pricing of the contract would have been better. But that might not even be sufficient for right. substantive unconscionability. But it at least it at least would have had yeah, just, to, just to provide like maybe what I think might be the other side on the procedural, maybe the substantive unconscionability. I think there are places where the facts have problems here. Right. So the contracts in Spanish, they make a big part in the complaint that like he speaks spanish but like that doesn't make you disabled like the contract is in spanish right so so it, it, it well i'm not sure it's funny how they say that i'm not sure that that's true right they yeah. say that the signing was in spanish 
But they well, don't exactly say so, that the but, contract but, was in Spanish. So so I'm not sure exactly where that falls. I mean, it may be The thing be that I, I, I would say, even if the contract was in English here, so like the so the paradigm case you learn in law school about unconscionability is stupid. It's this William, it's called Williams v. Walker Thomas, and they're still teaching it because they forgot, they didn't realize that like the global financial crisis happened and there's a million new unconscionability cases. The doctrine was largely sort of considered a little bit frozen or dead for a while. Uh-huh. Are we, are we talking rent to own furniture here, Andy? That's right. So, <laughs> so in in Williams v. Walker Thomas, there's this cross collateralization term. It's hard to understand, and what it means is basically like you rent to own multiple pieces from a place. TV, couch, a stereo, and they're all cross-collateralized such that you're not done paying for any of them until you pay for all of them. So if you got $10,000 worth of stuff, you pay $9,999 and you quit, they have the right to repo every all that $10,000 worth of stuff over the dollar that you're delinquent on. And, th- and this is like a difficult term. It's written in a very legalese way in, in the case that I'm talking about. And uh, it's difficult for the person to understand. And what I think is missing from this case is that 10% is not hard to understand. Like, you can say the guy's not educated, and you can say that, like, well, he speaks Spanish. I'm not really sure where they're going with that. But 10% is not hard to understand. Now, we could say it's substantively unconscionable. You could say that, like, yeah, but anybody who becomes a good ball player, anytime this contract becomes profitable, this contract term is extremely unequal because you paid, you know, a few hundred thousand dollars, and you get their entire, you get 10% of their entire ball career. So substantively, I think there's a good argument, but procedurally, I don't know that the facts look great here to me. I, I mean, I'm going to disagree just because the if BLA hired this lawyer, that's kind of like a per se violation of you know the ABA rules. I think it's what it's 1.8. Well, that's usually third parties, but I think it's 1.7 where you can't have uh, you can't have like even the personal conflict even that that relates to your business when you're representing somebody, and if they're pay if BLA is paying this lawyer, then he's personally conflicted via his business relationship with BLA from kind of negotiating against them. And I mean, if I think it took place in the Dominican Republic, so I'm sure he's not an American lawyer. If he was, I bet they would have splashed his name all over that complaint. Wait, um, wait, wait. You to, think you know, F's going to give him trouble? I don't know. Did you look at F1? Unless the client gives informed consent. I would 100% bet that they were like, do you want us to hire a lawyer? And he goes, yeah, and they go, you understand that we're going to pay for your lawyer. And he goes, yeah, that's better. That's actually better for me. I want you to pay for my lawyer. Uh, well, I mean, have you guys, I mean, like, have you guys looked into the sort of the counter complaint that BLA filed in? That's yeah. also very that's bad. really I mean, interesting. Oh, so yeah, yeah, su- that was a dumb move. <laughs> yeah, they're actually suing. Yeah, so they're suing the baseball this player so for stupid. even talking about this. Like, like this this is supposed to be, like, why are they doing that? Like, I actually, I. Go ahead. Well, go first explain what they're doing, because then okay. I'm going to sort of disagree on that. But go. Okay, so Christina. so BLA is suing uh, the baseball player for even like talking about this this complaint. Like they're saying that they, he was under, I mean, basically an NDA, not even to like like say that he had a contract. It was a confidentiality provision. Well, and but it's right. It's a broad confidentiality provision. And. The reason they say that there's the confidentiality provision is because the the structure of the contract is essentially you know, a trade secret. I'm making it right. It's competitive. It's competitive business information for them how they structure the terms. And I will say, 
I think that counterclaim is not as bad as everyone is making it out to be because they're not mad at him for attaching it to the complaint. They're mad at him for attaching it to the complaint and not filing it under seal. Right. What they say throughout the counterclaim is when he filed the claim, we asked his attorney to like file to pull it and file it again under seal. And they said no. And I think that's really what like they're not saying we're mad at you for disclosing it to the court. They're saying we're mad at you for filing a confidential business document in a public filing, not because it makes us look like assholes. The whole nature of the complaint would have made us look like assholes, kind of. (laughs) But there are other loan companies in this space and the way that we structure our contracts like to put the best light on it, the way we structure our contracts is our business model. And so we put the confidentiality in place in order to keep that stuff confidential. Now you can be skeptical about that. And I certainly am. Like, I think, uh, I think they keep this, uh, I think they keep this confident, like the confidentiality provision is also to kind of intimidate people into silence in the way that most NDAs are. But, uh, but I think they also have a decent case that, you know, if you had just filed it under right. seal. I mean, I, I, I have not read the entire contract, full disclosure here. I'm sure there's a severability clause in there that discusses with any, yeah, me either. you know, term is is illegal. That'll be severed from the remainder of the agreement. Well, it was also weird that they didn't have a, a liquidated damages clause attached to the confidentiality agreement because, you know, this seems like the exact type of clause that you would attach uh liquidated damages provision too. I mean they yeah, they, they didn't they didn't. There's no claim that there's a liquidated damages provision. They all they really yeah. ask is for an injunction prohibiting him from disclosing. Well they do ask for they do ask yeah. oh no, they just ask for an award of damages for the breach, which has to be just they want ten percent. Because yeah. he I mean, only made it seems one like sloppy drafting on both sides to me. I mean the fact that that uh the ball player had an unjust enrichment claim in there as opposed yeah. to just the declaratory judgment. I mean, I like, let's be honest. Any, I have written a ton of 12B6 motions that say, well, you're, you're, you've attached a contract to this. An unjust enrichment claim just to, for people who, who don't practice law is a quasi-contractual uh, claim. It doesn't really fall under contract law or tort law, but the whole point of unjust enrichment is that there's no contractual terms yeah. involved. It's a dumb claim. Yeah, so if you're atta- and then if you're attaching a contract as exhibit A to your complaint, <laughs> the court's going to say and if I'm your opponent, I'm going to say, well, your honor, they he attached a contract as exhibit A, so this claim is, you know, it fails on its face and I'm not going to waste my client's money telling, you know, going through 14 sites as to why. Um, I laughed at that too, Pat. I'm glad you said that. Right. I guess maybe you parse out the two and you say he made he made one payment yeah. of a little under $10,000, which would have been the first installment, right? And so you say you want an injunction because the contract is unenforceable and on un- unconscionability grounds. And the unjust enrichment is the 10,000 bucks that he coerced out of me, which I right. knew that I shouldn't have had to pay. And so, like, maybe the unjust enrichment claim would be yeah. limited to that uh, payment. Because he also, he also essentially says that he wants, you know, like that part of the resolution right. would be giving back 
the uh, the three hundred and sixty thousand dollars, presumably with some kind of statutory interest, or I don't know how they resolve the fact that there's like two years of interest on the three hundred and sixty grand that he got. I would be surprised to see this case settle out. I think that plaintiffs need to know if their business model is unconscionable or not. I think they need to know that. And so, like, uh, I, I guess, I mean... You mean defendants. Yeah, yeah, the defendants need to know that. And so, uh, because right now, they're like, they bet on a bunch of players, I think Pat was saying that earlier, and they're going to get some winners. And if this is, like, only the winners are really going to bother litigating this, but, like, when they finally get a winner, that's the one that's going to make the, the business yep. model profitable. And if they're going to lose yep. all the ones that actually win, all the ones that actually do well... This is not a working business model, and they need to know that. The defend I think the defendants probably feel pretty Agreed. confident. Like, I don't like it on moral grounds, but I think the entire history <laughs> yeah. of securities litigation against banks is yeah. that they don't lose yeah. this kind of thing very often. Uh, you know, like consumer can like most of the the reason why there isn't a lot of this kind of consumer investor litigation anymore is because it's all thrown into arbitration but even before it was in arbitration it was very hard to win these kinds of cases as a plaintiff. like making a move and they're they got their litigating pants on and so i just want to start by reading the entire case oh no that is how we are going to kick this off 30 minutes later yeah in the united states district court for the southern district of new york the democratic national committee plaintiff versus the (laughs) russian federation the general staff of the armed forces of the Russian Federation, the GRU, the GRU operative using the pseudonym Guchifer 2.0, Aras Iskanerovich Agalarov, which I'm not Neither gonna is anyone that wrote this complaint. Completely, like anything close to true. Yeah. Emin Araz Agalarov, Joseph <laughs> Mifsud, WikiLeaks, uh, Julian Assange, not Donald, Donald J. Trump, J. Trump for President Inc. Donald so J. Saying Trump not notably Jr. not Donald J. What? Trump himself. No, yeah, not Donald Trump in his personal capacity. Just Donald J. Trump for President Inc. and Donald J. Trump Jr. But not as <laughs> as the sole fail son. Uh, Paul J. Manafort Jr. Roger J. Stone Jr. Holy cow, Jr. and the middle initial J (laughs) are the theme of this thing. Uh, Jared C. Kushner, Richard Richard, uh, W. Gates III, and George Papadopoulos. Gotta leave Uh, some blanks. John Doe's 1 through 10. (laughs) Yeah, those John Doe's 1 through 10 are also, if I recall, 
all GRU agents. GRU is the uh, the, the that's the FSB. GRU uh, is the Russian. Uh, and Andy, as a as a former troop, you probably know better than this. They're like the they're like the DIA. We didn't we didn't like work the military with, intelligence. When I when I was a troop, Fucking we weren't doing a lot ass. of Russian related stuff. Yeah, but he's just know. trying yeah. to figure out if you know the different like my, no my, my wife does, but she's asleep. We're focused mostly on China. Yeah, no, he has no idea. He was Andy was That's a right. Andy was a line cook on a sub. <laughs> <laughs> um. So uh. So we have the and then they sued them under the Computer Fraud and Abuse Act. Mm. And of course, RICO and the Wiretap and the Stored Communications Act and the DMCA <laughs> uh, and misappropriation of trade secrets, and then the DC uh, state secrets trade secrets law and the Virginia uh, trade secrets law and Virginia and DC common law trespass and the Virginia Computer Crimes Act. And for being and really it mean. Is yeah, it is 54 pages. It's of such bullshit. It's such a fucking joke. Um, <laughs> the first, to be clear, like the first uh, 35 pages or so, the first 35 pages or so right. is everything that you already know. Mm-hmm. Like, it's just a recitation of all of the stuff that's been in the news uh, in incredibly public ways, and they have just gotten someone to uh, slap some statutes on the end of it that they claim that they're uh, violating, and they do. It's like it's a literally a footnoted. Eric complaint. Garland wrote this fucking complaint. It's got like five. <laughs> yeah, it's got like it's yeah, it's got like five or six pages. No, it's not, but it's not Eric Garland because they don't try to weave it as like a wackadoo conspiracy. They just say it really plainly in the way that you know, right? Donald Trump Jr. had a meeting with uh, the agents at the hotel. But they do Kushner try to play up the drama. No one is there. above the law. And, you know, the opening salvo was a cyber attack on the DNC carried out on American soil. Yeah, I mean that is that is almost literally how it starts off, right? <laughs> yeah, no one is above the law. In the run-up, Russia mounted a brazen attack on American democracy. It is Metal it's Gear. It's episode twenty-four that they dialogue. just tried. Yeah, the opening salvo was a cyber attack on the DNC. Yeah, so it's crazy. So it it goes on like that, and it mentions all the stuff that you knew the the Flynn having a meeting and and. Donald Trump being at the at the, uh, you know, the Miss Miss Universe or whatever pageant in Moscow and meeting with, you know, this pop star and his oligarch dad and like none of it is new. None of it is new. And what they're they essentially are suing the Russian military. And uh, anyone have any uh, opinions on how they're going to (laughs) serve? The Russian military in the newspaper. to respond in this action. Does uh, do they have like a? No, this would be one of those fantastic, like Chris Anderson said, sued by or noticed by publication. You know, I'm sure like the Southern District of New York yes. has They're like a local rule that says, well, if you put this in the New York Times for so so many number of days, that counts as service. It's going to be a great like sim yeah, the, failing, the failing New York Times. <laughs> You think anyone reads the notices in the failing New York Times? So I got bored and I didn't uh, finish. 
Uh, what is the, what do they want? I mean, like, do they like want someone to go to jail? They want to arrest Vladimir Putin. Like what? what like Let's this see. is, I mean, you know, what you know, they, the news bite that people say like, Oh, people just keep relitigating the 2016 election. It, this is literally relitigating is. the 2016 election. Yeah. yeah. And I don't understand damages. like what, what do they want to occur? Well, some of it is damages for trade secrets. Okay. Like the, the loss of trade secrets and the damage. Well, yeah. And then there's other stuff. Though. So they want money. Declaration injunction. They got, they got yeah. ideas. And I mean, and I guess the real thing, here i'm not going to analyze like the computer abuse claims and all of that because i don't and neither will one person like, listening to Mike <laughs> out any of it like i don't know i don't know how you sue a foreign espionage uh foreign espionage operation for hacking you like i don't i don't know that that works and i don't know uh that the cia is necessarily going to be any more willing to respond to those cases <laughs> in other countries than russia is going to be on this one uh but the one the one big one is they sue them under rico the racketeer and in racketeer influenced and corrupt organizations act which is two things number one it is a way of uh breaking up the mob right that's really why it was written is the sopranos law yep it is the sopranos it is the sopranos uh law and number two, it is what every <laughs> wackadoo non-lawyer idiot thinks they could sue Amen. anyone they don't like with. Yeah. Right? We're going to get hit with a RICO suit, Mike Dicta. And the civil yeah. side of yeah, RICO doesn't often <laughs> give actual play because the organizations that are prosecuted under RICO, you don't go filing a fucking civil suit against. La Casa Nostra. Yeah, like, like, oh, you know what? I'm going to sue yeah. John Gotti yeah. and his boys. So, okay, well, that's okay. Let me know how that turns out. Fuck, yeah, man, I was paying you protection money for 10 years, <laughs> and the terms just, were just, unconscionable. Just kind of dovetailing with the Sopranos theme here. Like, half of these characters seem like they would have been in like a three episode arc in season four between like the uh, Agarlov yes. father and son, the Russian pop star. I mean, have you looked at what Rob fucking Goldstone looks like? There is no way that Christopher and Polly aren't like fucking lighting that guy up in his really shitty apartment while his like stripper girlfriend cries in the next room. Oh god, I just looked him up. <laughs> <laughs> Holy shit. <laughs> Sorry, I had the Sopranos notes and I had to use them, otherwise I would have forgotten. <laughs> I don't mind that you did. I don't mind that you did. But, I, but you really kind of combined Christopher Moltisanti and Ratso Rizzo. This is Vito. I'm seeing Vito here. here. I don't know. <laughs> Hiding in there somewhere. <laughs> All right. Sorry. Please continue. Um, but uh, but the, the idea behind Rico is that the conspiracy itself is the corrupt organization, right? The Like the, the Genovese family was the corrupt organization and like there is it's not just doing bad things it's that the operation itself is like bad and i mean the russian <laughs> army is the russian army it does russian army things the presidential campaign actually got the guy elected president <laughs> like it was, like it was. It was, it was running still a, bad a thing, real though. campaign. It was still you a know, bad whatever. thing. Whatever. What? <laughs> yeah, sure. It was a bad thing, but it was. But it was sort of the 
the Donald Trump campaign for the president, as much as it will be a world ending disaster, was like actually doing the business of running a campaign. And like, I mean, I just don't know that any of this sort of I mean, civil RICO cases just almost always get dismissed because, I mean, at least like the lawyers are actually kind of decent in the sense that they figured out like most of what they needed to plead. And so they kind of pled all sorts of interesting, like all the kinds of facts that you would expect. Like they knew the statutory sections and they didn't kind of do it in the most bare bones way. But it's just it's 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 literally just sort of a PR <laughs> move that I don't think even they think has any chance of. Uh, I have no I doubt that this is going to be the litigation. subject of many desperate emails I get from Nancy Pelosi and Joe Biden <laughs> in the next six months. Tell me that if I don't donate $25 oh, before God, midnight, yeah. they'll be able to fund their lawsuit against the Russians, which I'm sure is being done pro bono by Cohen Milstein. I think that's very astute, Charles, that like the complaint is very yeah, fact rich. It's very fact rich, and it's very hard to get a complaint like this dismissed. And so if you look mm-hmm. at the lawyers from the idea of just like everybody who's employed by the DNC, which is like people who are grifting it in order to use their professional qualifications to make money off of it, it's a really well-written complaint. Because this ain't going they're, anywhere. They're going to yeah, discover they're here. They're, they're a high-level plaintiff's firm. Um, like, uh, uh, oh, yeah, yeah. They're very... I mean, it's Cohen Milstein. They know what they're doing. But like I said, it's like 35 pages of... Like, it's, it's all cited. They have 107 right. footnotes, right? But all of the footnotes are <laughs> like Kaczynski. NBC News and Politico and The Telegraph the and BuzzFeed and Time Magazine. And uh. Like, yeah, that's, that's one of the top ones. And so the New York Times and ABC and the Washington yeah. Examiner, which is very yeah. funny to see cited <laughs> in something against Trump. But, like, it's just, right. it's all the news, <laughs> right? The first 35 pages are literally the same news that's been driving you crazy for two years. And they're just patting you on the back and saying, right. as you suspected all along, this violates yeah. every statute in the book. And I just, it's, it's just, oh, it's just. It's Rachel Maddow, the way that just makes me sad. <laughs> yes, yeah, that's a really good. That's a good, yeah. But not even it, like it's more <laughs> like it's like Louise Mensch. Like the the way they're going to serve the GRU is the right. the <laughs> marshal of the Supreme Court <laughs> is going to grab Vladimir Putin by the scruff of his neck in the lobby of the United Nations and make him. You know, sign I'm just glad that we got to talk to that, that fancy bear was mentioned in the complaint, which is my absolute favorite. Yep. Uh, code name for any sort of foreign foreign adversary, because you know, fancy bear. I mean, come on, guys. That, that's that's an inherently funny, funny term. I mean, I mean co- and and, yeah. it's, and that's competing with cozy bear. No. That's the Twitter poll. Is what is the what is the better foreign agent name? Yeah. Fancy bear and cozy bear. Um, but it's like I I don't even. I just wish. I just wish it were something, right? It's not like I'm any less desperate to see every one of these people like naked, poor in the street, and in jail. And, and this in isn't going to no. But there's no way that this is going to be the method to get them there. 
And it just it just makes me sad that some of the some of the allegations here are just like I I tweeted about this once, but like they're saying, you know, that defendants actions caused DNC donations to drop significantly or something like guys, you need a fucking mirror. This is not this isn't what that's not what happened. (laughs) It may may have been the candidate that that, that made the donations drop separately. Oh. Yeah, I mean that's gonna <laughs> be the funny thing during the deposition when they're just gonna be like Can you just bone uh, the election uh, yourself? Well, like <laughs> Aren't you the kind of person that Jesse Ferrar would tell to knit yourself a car well, there was and a, it into a river? There, there was a great Doesn't line of the complaint that said that the uh the defendants so discord within the Democratic Party at a time when party unity was essential to electoral success. And I mean at that point it's like <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, Deborah Messing's Twitter bros. feeds. You know, the amended complaint is going to add uh, Jill Stein and Susan Sarandon. Yeah. Yes. Right. That, and then Lawrence Strive and, and our buddy Seth oh. Abramson will, uh, you know, really go into the fact the that these guys are giving this credit blow. I mean, I, I should say it blows. It doesn't blow my mind because Larry Tribe's been, you know, out of it for a while. But the fact that he's giving it credit as a Harvard professor is like such a joke. I mean, it really is bad. I mean, didn't, didn't, wasn't Lawrence Larry Tribe, Tribe is a, I mean, he was one of the lawyers. biggest, like, uh, gay rights litigation lawyers. He did, like, yeah. Romer in the 80s. He was, like, in the room for Lawrence v. Texas and had advised on it. Like, he's, he's done, he's done incredibly big things. Uh, and he, by all accounts, I, mean, I don't want to say by all accounts, by some accounts of professors I had in law school, he is kind of an asshole in person. But, uh, a well-meaning one, and I just had no idea about this side of him until I really got onto Twitter and was like, "This guy, this guy's lost." It. That's why no one yeah, should get on I, Twitter because it's just like you realize everyone's <laughs> shit. Right. Like my, I had, I had professor, I had a Richard Painter for my PR professor, and I kind of liked him until I realized he's just like this <laughs> huge blowhard online who I now make fun of all the time. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, it is frustrating because he really was a guy who was generally regarded as one of the top constitutional scholars, historian, scholar. And just lately, he has just become sucked into the kind of vortex of opportunistic politics. And he, like, I, you know, his his biggest private client recently was was like a coal company opposing Obama's regulations. And so it's like first he like throws away right. his lefty cred in pursuit of like a huge paycheck, uh, regardless, frankly, of the merits, because I have no idea what the merits were. Uh, and then he like he's like and in a desperate attempt to reclaim it, he will like make insanely risable legal claims. And there was some other thing. And like, now I'm just forgetting it because it's just the kind of thing that's just so ephemeral, but like some, some like dumb thing got out in the Twitter ether and he repeated it in a just asking questions kind of way and then had to, and then had to walk it back when it became clear that it was factually wrong. And it's just like, I was talking about this on Twitter earlier today is that it just makes me sad uh, that the, that the response to like, 
the Trump campaign and all the sort of crazy misinformation online and the, you know, the accusations of fake news and the way no one reads the same sources or acts in good faith, like the Democratic response to it hasn't been to reject it, but to just start adopting it. You know, like we now we now do the same bullshit like like Louise Mensch is (laughs) Taylor true fact stated all of these people are just it's just like a huge ecosystem of fake self-reinforcing nonsense for people who want to just you know wish away the entire world around them I love that true fact stated entire political operation is buying billboards that make fun of the length of Donald Trump's tie and say GOP with a hammer and sickle in the place of the O. It's that's good. Nailed it. You, you, th- you think I'm kidding that, that that's Powerful. actually, he that's, raises. <laughs> I know. I did not think you were kidding. Wow. Uh, I, that, but that is, I, I had an offline friend who message. mentioned something about him recently. And I said, let me tell you what I know about Claude Taylor. And then they started walking away from me. But <laughs> 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 I could not blame them. I would wish response. the knowledge I have on anybody. But you know, like today, Joy Reid oh. is claiming she was hacked. You know, for probably GRU operative number three. You know, That's my guess. eight years ago, GRU operative number three. That's who what? Yeah, right, right. Of course, for three point Of course, that was the that was the real that was the real deep cut. Is that they're gonna go? Uh, vandalize eight-year-old blog posts hacking into the daily coast servers to uh and of course and then of course everyone spent all day proving that she was tweeting the same shit at the same time (laughs) it's like what did they get your password too and you like didn't notice in your notifications when everyone was retweeting the same thing back then so it's like why why would you you just become unable to criticize you know, the intentional undermining of the media when you just sort of bullshit on that kind of stuff. I mean, just fucking apologize. Do you know how easy it is in this world, right, to just, like, have been against gay rights eight years ago and, like, be, like, a a full rainbow now? Yeah, just ask Barack Obama. Right. (laughs) Ask Barack Obama, ask Hillary Clinton, ask literally... 90% 90% of the democratic power structure, how easy it is uh, to become woke on that. I just want to read one slight line from this, from this complaint that I love. So uh, this is a, just when they get to the bottom of it, right before they start the prayer for relief, I think there's this, there's this like conclusion in one of the paragraphs that says, under the laws of this nation, Russia and its co-conspirators must answer for these actions. And it's like the most self-serious, like it just, to me, just summed up the entire complaint as just like embarrassing, fucking embarrassing. Yeah, it is the, it really is. uh, That's like the tagline to the movie where this complaint (laughs) becomes an action thriller. Uh, Where they, where, where an intrepid attorney takes down. Uh, yep. Vladimir Putin accepts the jurisdiction of the court, shows up <laughs> thinking it's going to go okay, but then 
He didn't see this coming. He gets caught in a logic trap. He 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 decides to represent himself. Yeah. <laughs> he gets fucking matlocked on the stand. Right, because it works. It works in Moscow. Vladimir Putin is undefeated in local litigation. Uh, and with that loopiness, we're going to close. I want to thank everyone uh, for coming on uh, the pod today. Uh, Christina and Andy and Pat. Uh, my name is Charles Starr. Thanks again for listening to my dicta. Follow thank you, everybody. On Twitter. Have a good Bye, night, everybody. everyone. Bye. Thanks. Bye. Hit stop. All right. Hit stop, right? And so, what? Yeah, hit stop. Hit stop. She was a shark smile